Hey everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. I'm your host, Phil, and in this episode, we're going to be talking to the entire training team, the training team of myself, uh, Lisa Hunt, Rich Keegan, and Chris Damboys. We're getting together to talk about our key takeaways from training in COVID protocols. So as of last week, now every single one of us, all four of us, have now done in-person trainings with some of our clients, uh, utilizing distance and also mask wearing and washing hands and sanitization. So we wanted to give some key takeaways from what we've learned from that very limited experience, but we think that that might um, offer some assistance to those who are starting or considering jumping into the world of being back in physical contact with clients and programming, both in challenge course operation, because we've done training in those areas, and also in facilitation skills. We're also going to take this opportunity to talk about our upcoming workshops, Gathering Again, Adventure Activities with Physical Distance, once again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you may have seen on Facebook recently on our social media that we have hit over 10,000 downloads. That's a big milestone for us. I appreciate it uh, greatly. Continue to spread the word and continue the conversations. And if you have any recommendations, ideas, uh, things that you'd like us to talk about, then please email me at podcast at highfiveadventure.org. That's podcast at H-I-G-H, the number five, adventure.org. And then we'll be able to address some of those things that you're bringing up. Uh, we, we want this community to be connected. We want us to continue the conversations that you want us to have. So please feel free to email me any of those thoughts and we will work on those. Once again, thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode and see you on the next one. So here we are, we've got four of us, uh, myself, Lisa, Rich and Chris, we're all uh, in the Zoom space and we're talking about our trainings that we've just finished in the last couple of weeks. So we've all now physically interacted with human beings other than our families. So what are some of the key takeaways that we've taken from training both in, I know that we've done technical trainings and also facilitation trainings, but what takeaways do we have? Well, Phil, um having done a training about a week ago and in really warm weather, a couple of things that came up for me in in terms of just managing the mask and managing my voice and all that was one of the key takeaways, make sure you bring breath mints with you. So you're, uh, as you change your mask throughout the day, if you're certainly going to do that, you have a more of a breath of fresh air than your own air all the time, which is really helpful. And also, um, I didn't stay hydrated enough, not only because Mm. of the weather, but because of the amount of talking we do in a training and then having to project through the mask or the face covering, I think is something I would really focus on more Mm -hmm. next time. I agree with that, Rich. I think it's, um, we're naturally more inclined to drink water when we don't have to do anything else to make that happen. And I noticed that even with my own participants, I often frequently had to prompt them remember to drink water because mm-hmm. with the mask on, it's just easy to not drink. And then the heat requirements the last few weeks, it's been really tough that way. So that's a good point. I think um, another point for me 
and, th- and I experienced this both working with a client who um, was in a therapeutic center, group of clients in that setting, and then also uh, a group of clients in a camp setting is a certain level of what I would call face mask fatigue, mm. meaning that um, as the day wore on, the ability to continue to keep your energy level up while projecting your voice through the mask, your ability to keep your energy level up while climbing an element or performing a belay. Uh, Both of these trainings were technical challenge course kinds of trainings um, using predominantly high elements. Um, I could see fatigue setting in much quicker. So providing breaks, making sure your day didn't go too long, helping them recognize that that's what's happening because they're just trying to be compliant. Yeah, just building in time for people to take time to, to re-energize was really important. And it, and it didn't really hit me until day two of my last training when I realized two back-to-back days, people were pretty darn tired by the end in, in a way that I wouldn't have expected if this had been in a normal year with two days of training. Yeah, I mean, as I hear the, two, the first two responses, I go back to some of the things that I took away from when we as a training staff gathered back on June 10th, and then how I took those. So the context is, you know, before any of us on the team were asked to go and do delivery of training, we sort of tried some things out together as a group. And that was so hugely helpful. So some of the things I learned from that day were foundational for me to take into my training um, that I did at a, um, a high school for our challenge course program. And some of the pieces that were important the day that we gathered as a staff, Rich, that were part of your design in particular were in a playful way, you had us share pictures of ourselves with a uh, face covering on. And I chose to do that with my client group to sort of normalize or take away some of that curiosity of what it was going to look like. I found that very helpful. And then just reflecting on my own experience when I pulled up to high five that morning. I mean, it was the first time I'd seen anyone besides my family in, in months. And I was so happy to see you all, but I had to give myself space and time to settle into that. So the front loading of the expectations, even though it's safe to assume we all know each other, there's a level of comfort that were established were so important. So you said, you know, bring a chair, the chairs are going to be set up six feet apart, bring this, bring this, know what to expect. Setting the stage has always been important to us, but doing it in that very specific way was very important. And so um, that was huge. And I carried that forward into my technical training And then the other piece in terms of a key takeaway that I hadn't really anticipated was this, and again, this is a challenge course program that exists within a public high school. I had four or five five staff in my training, was they really had to establish what were the priorities of their program for them. And rather than try to support them in making everything work, which would almost be exhausting and and would take forever, we had to say, and and they they really led me to this, was sort of like, what are the most important things for your program? And for them, it was every student has the opportunity to learn how to belay. Because we were trying to figure out some belay stuff with weight differentials, with keeping a appropriate distance. And I suggested, I said, hey, maybe this year not everybody gets to belay. And they were like, nope, that's not us. And so that focused the priority for the day. And um, 
So I think that that, that that concept of what's the most important was really something that I will take into my next training rather than trying to make everything work with COVID protocols, but say, what, what are the, like, the crown jewels that we can protect in terms of the, the priorities of the program? I had the um, I, probably the same same realizations. What that the fatigue in the tiredness. When I was doing a training, I did three days, and it was facilitation training, activity based training, and it was hot. It was like ninety degrees, very humid. So there were a lot of activities that I would normally have easily done that wearing a mask made things much tougher like a key punch where they're running to the to the key punch area or we did a, me- a game called memory which was very physically active it it was it was just extremely exhausting you you would run and you'd feel like your fitness was terrible because you were so out of breath but it's just you're wearing this mask it's in the heat every in breath felt like the mask was suching in itself to your mouth like a like a shower curtain to your leg when it's humid. So it was like that constant feeling. And so what I ended up having to do, and it was very well appreciated by from me and also the participants, is to take constant breaks. And I think that we were doing nearly a nearly a five to ten minute break every hour just to have the opportunity to space ourselves, take the masks off, drink the water. Because yeah, I I was completely forgetting it. Something that I was kind of, I was surprised about, but in hindsight, I shouldn't have been, is that by the end of day one, my voice was absolutely red, raw, sore. And it was just from having a yell almost in my mask because the ability to project my voice to a group over a long period of time, I couldn't do a normal conversational tone. I I was essentially almost yelling in my mask the whole day. So that was just something as well for, for me to be aware of as, reducing the amount of talking I'm doing, but just to manage my own self-care. I also referenced the thing you you said, Lisa, about giving the way you prepped it by having people see you. I used, um, for my group, I used Flipgrid. And what it allowed me to do is put a video out to the group. I emailed it out to all the participants and then they could respond in an assignment form and respond with a video of their own. For me, it was so beneficial knowing everyone's names before I got there that I didn't even have to do the whole, hey, everyone, my name is Phil, blah, 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 because I'd already done it with a group prior to get there. So as I was getting unloading my car, people were going, hey, Phil, do you need me to help? I'd never met these people, but they had seen that video. And I think that that really helped it, and especially when we were wearing masks. It helped us connect on a quicker level than had I not done that. So I, I found great value in it. Um, and I'm sure others probably would too. If you're thinking of bringing clients into your program, whether, whether it be participants or, and you're running it, you're the facilitator or you're doing a training. I think that was a really helpful way, especially with the masks. And I've seen a lot of summer camps out there who have been posting on summer camp pros about having name tags with their faces on them so that people can see what people look like without the masks. And, uh, but I, I like the idea of doing the video, um, using Flipgrid beforehand. I'm going to keep that going. Just a few other practical things. I think one of the things that I, prior to our time together as a training team with EOL, when we were practicing prior to going out on those those custom trainings with our clients, that I urged you all to do was just to practice time in your mask prior to the event, right? So getting clients ready to know that they're going to be in a mask for six hours, eight hours, whatever the length of day is. So I would urge you all 
listeners out there, if you're going to be working with groups, is to have them practice prior to their arrival with you. And the other thing is when it's really hot and sticky and humid, or you're just working really hard, having a, a, another mask, you know, like it, it's kind of like when you're out hiking and you're, you know, you have your morning slog and your feet are all wet. And then at lunchtime, you take your socks off and you put your new socks on and your afternoon is bright and beautiful because you've changed your socks. Mm-hmm. A new mask for the second half of the day makes a big difference. I, I also think for the listeners, thinking about the style of mask you have is really important. There are lots of different face coverings out there. I would urge you to think about the color of the face covering. The lighter the color, the cooler you're going to be. I see a lot of dark face coverings out there, and that makes it really hot. I also think the neck gaiter version, where you pull it down over your head and it's over your face and or surrounding your neck also, I suspect I haven't worn one of those, but I suspect those are much warmer. Yeah, and I've been a neck gaiter person, and um, it's something that you can use for fishing as well to keep the sun off your face. But I think some recent, we were having a conversation yesterday about recent information of how effective those are versus a cotton mask, and they're not nearly as effective as a cotton mask. So I'm, I'm going to be changing over. Mm-hmm. Um, to that but it was it was pretty warm in that gator even though it's thinner material i also know in the challenge course industry uh working with you know if we've got the tide masks i know that those could be a problematic for strangulation if they get caught on something when you're in the air because uh so the ones over your ears are probably going to be better than the tide ones i will say that i've made the error i had a tide one i had a very dark one it was very hot, and then I had a tied one during the first day of that training, and I was uh, struggling to stifle a sneeze, and I couldn't get the, the mask off quick enough, and I just sneezed into the mask. And so then the rest of that day, I had to continuously breathe not only my sweat in the mask, but also my sneeze, uh, and I didn't have a second mask. So I, I've experienced the learning of pretty much everything Chris said all in one go of it being too dark, too hot, and sneezed in it, and it was gross. I <laughs> got uh, like some philosophical things, sort of facilitation pieces, unsurprisingly, that I'll bring to the conversation <laughs> that I think complement some of the more practical pieces is that, I mean, I feel like for us as a training team and a lot of facilitators, the concept of like how we set the table for participants has always been very important. And one of the things I think about is, how do we allow for participants to sort of um, identify for themselves the significance of the event, right? Without sort of leading them to, ooh, this is a huge climb. It's really epic. It's really scary. It's this. But just like, okay, this is a climb called the STEM climb, and this is how it works and let people. And I think one of the things that I had to sort of watch myself on on the one-day refresher I did was I was coming in being like, this is a really big deal. Like I have been at home, I have not touched a rope and I wanted to come in there and tell people like, so therefore this is a really big deal for you. And what I had to really reflect on was I don't want to lead people into my own experience. And, you know, maybe there are, maybe there's staff who, um, you know, also work at night in a hospital, or maybe there are folks who are being around people all the time. And so I've had to sort of watch things like saying, well, you've all been at home. I can't make that assumption. Um, this is really different for you all. Maybe it's not. So I, I've just, I've been sort of trying to watch that line a little bit. And I found that through some basic activity that's not new to any of us, that sort of let the participants name what it's like that was solved rather than, 
I was, I almost set that tone of like, wow, this is really, really epic. And um, I, I'm not sure of the value of that. I think another piece that I think we'll maybe touch upon a little bit later in the conversation around um, some workshops that we have planned, but the other piece that I noticed and Anne Louise brought this up on our um, pilot day that we did on the 10th. And then I, I, I brought into the conversation in my training was a, a, a difference in activity type, um, especially in the COVID area. So one, so one example of different types would be one where social physical distance is sort of baked into the design of the activity, mm. right? Like it's sort of ma- the activity manages that whether it's, you know, twirly golf or whatever, and then there are other activities that require the participant to really manage that themselves. And that may seem so obvious as we're talking about this, but that's a huge paradigm just in terms of as we think about sequencing to also add in another layer around what are we asking participants, that additional layer of self, self-accountability self and, and challenge by choice is, is really significant. And I think those design principles are pieces that we're going to be experiencing mm-hmm. a lot. I, I think the other thing that, was really important to acknowledge both in the trainings at setting the tone. And then I think we did a good job of this when we met under Rich's design for our pilot program was around the idea that none of us are good at physical distancing. (laughs) None of us are experts at wearing masks. None of us are really, you know, key performers in the COVID-19 era right? This is all a learning for all of us, both as facilitators, as participants, as human beings, and that uh, the allowance for mistakes Mm -hmm. and the dialogue about that so that a mistake of physical distancing, you know, could have similar implications to the era of taking a break hand off for perhaps on a belay, right? But is there room for making mistakes so that learning can occur, but the tone setting and the support of the group is such that it doesn't become a shutdown, right? Mm -hmm. The person who didn't socially distance or physically distance well isn't like voted off the island because of that simple mistake or the person, you know, I noticed this as people were greeting me at various places that I've been who were not part of the cohort group that I was training they often wanted to put their mask down to talk to me and smile <laughs> at me to show me who they yeah. are first. Right. Hey. I don't know if you've been, yeah. have you noticed that even in social settings outside of our trainings where people walk up to you and you say hi to them with your eyes or your hands and they want to pull their mask down to talk to you initially. And we have to just remind people mm-hmm. of whatever that is, you know, we used whoa as our cue during our time together as trainers, but I think it just, giving space and grace to allow for mistakes to occur, the acknowledgement of it, and then the support around getting people to really recognize their behaviors so that they can be better at that. Because it it is a real risk. Taking your brake hand off during a belay is a real risk. And taking your mask off or perhaps, um, you know, yeah, just being too physically close to somebody is a significant could be a significant risk during this time. I had a an opportunity in the training that I was in where someone was we were doing an activity that required time, and sometimes when you add a, a time to something, safety protocols reduce when you add the pressure of we're against the clock. We we were doing something where we were leaning over 
Um, it was an activity called alphabet soup. Um, if people are familiar or not, it's using letters to spell out a number of words in a two-minute thing. And they were placing the letters down on the ground, and someone leant forwards, and the mask slipped off their face. And in the moment, because it was a timed thing, they just c- tried to continue with the activity and had to keep saying, like, no, step away and put the mask back on. And they were like, we're timed. <laughs> and I was like, okay, but what is more important, the time in this activity or your safety and the safety of others around you? So take a step away and put the mask on. And I think that sometimes we, we just have to be aware that those cases can occur, but it's not a massive reprimand but it is a, a clear like then we could have a discussion about it because they're going to experience that i was training facilitators so they're going to experience that possibly with people they're working with so it was just an interesting moment that and i think as well because i was with them for multiple days and i know that you all experienced this even even if you did a one day that as the days went on some of our protocols relaxed or they they relaxed with the, with each other i kept i found i was having to remind people about distance far more on the third day than i did on the first where everyone was already like maxed out on protocol awareness and then we get closer to each other and we started to relax in it a little bit so i was having to remind people then i was also um i want to say somewhat pleasantly surprised at um the lack of an effect a mask had on good sequencing and good activities. Mm. So I'm listening. I was like, Oh no, I'm going to be West. It's really going to, the mask and face coverings are going to degrade what we're really doing. I don't I didn't see that as the case at all. I mean, we had to change some of the things we were doing, but overall a good activity was a good activity. Um, regardless of whether the mask was on and if it was in the right sequence. And I, I think as we do more, we'll get even better about when is it an appropriate time to take the mask off or be able to pull it up during, take it off during an activity. Like I needed to step back at one point, I think when the group was on the whale watch, just to hydrate myself and get the mask back. And I, and I was, had to have been at least 15 feet away. I was like, I just started talking to him. I did as a retired, as a PE teacher. I was like, I don't need to wear my mask to talk with him when I'm this far away, long as I project. And also in more movement activities where if they're not close to each other, I think it would be okay to, to have them drop the mask um, so they can breathe better. But when they get in closer proximity to people, just to remind them to put it back on. So good activity can still be a good activity, even with a face covering. I, I agree with that, Rich. I think, you know, some of our listeners may be thinking that we're masked and socially distant all the time and physically distant all the time. And the reality is those are two strategies to help mitigate the possibility of infection. And combined, they're a very strong tool. Being distant from someone is a great tool in and of itself. The mask affords you an opportunity to make mistakes when you're playing activities where you might come closer to people. So I almost think of the mask as a backup that allows us to normalize our activity, our socialness as as beings, and affords us a little bit of wiggle room so that we can experience things maybe in ways that would be less fun or less interesting. Um, if we had to always worry so much about this about the physical distance part, so. That's a great point, Rich. So I think, you know, we do want to make sure that uh, we have con- we have some conversation about sort of where these takeaways besides this podcast can folks can expand their understanding and learn from us further and from each other in the field. And we'll talk about some workshop opportunities that we have coming up. And I think one of the things that 
the workshops that we're going to offer are, are s- some things that we discovered as a team is that, or at least I, I felt like we're very strong on our pilot day where the difference between modifying things we've always done and then creating stuff that's never existed before. And I found this shift and I wonder if you all experienced this from, okay, take everything we've always done and then see what's possible within COVID protocols. And that's a very normal place to start, right? You sort of do what you know, and then you tinker with it, and then you see what you get. I think what happened is after a few hours of that, my thinking expanded to, but what about things that have never been done before? And I went from this almost like stress of make the old thing work to what an opportunity to experience things that we've never done before. And I realized that that, that's a very fortunate position to be coming from to say that because there are folks who have to make things work in schools right now that's like extremely stressful. I think when it comes to adventure activities, that idea that's been important to us all along of how do we take the needs of the group and find an activity that will meet those needs right now? It's very possible, especially if we sort of abandon, well, here's a modification of this, a modification of this, a modification of this. And so perhaps that can sort of lead us into talking about um, the Gathering Again workshop, which is called Gathering Again, because that's sort of what we did when we piloted this. We, we played with, maybe in the workshop, we'll reveal some of the other names that didn't make the cut mm-hmm. in terms of titles. But, you know, Gathering Again with Adventure Activities, and, I, and part of that program is looking at modifications to favorites, but also like looking at brand new stuff and how can we have that balance. So I don't know if one of you sort of wants to speak to some of the key outcomes for that day. Rich, I'm looking at you because you're sort of the mastermind behind it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, well, I, I'm, I'm going to mention this now because I I'll, I'll certainly will forget it later on. And it's that if people who are, if you don't really have a whole lot of, of experience with moving people through different spaces, um, being a retired PE teacher, long-time PE teacher, and also doing it at the elementary school level. For primary grades, there's there's curriculum out there about moving, creating environments to teach people and children how to move to open space and what that looks like. And there is a lot of different activities with that. So if you're working with younger children or even adults, I've used those a lot of those even with adults, there's a lot of curriculum already out there. You just have to go looking for it. And it's, uh, there's just some very simple things that you can do, but yeah, that progression of just getting people comfortable having that spacing, um, and then having them move in closer and closer. And how do you manage that? I think was the overall philosophy of what we do. And then how do you change that activity to make it work for your particular age group or your, your physical environmental setting, I think was, uh, a lot of what we were trying to accomplish. I think that, um, you know, I got to experience the workshop. We all got to experience it with Rich leading it. And then I got to lead a um, an extended, an altered version of it when I was doing the three-day program with the, the school. The thing that I think that is really helpful, and I think that people will gain a lot of value from it, is the ability to experientially learn how to be distant 
and experientially learn how to wear masks and experientially learn how to hand sanitize appropriately. Those are the things I think that regardless of the activities, and I agree that there's such a, a, a range between new ones and also old ones, altered, the thing that I took value was the opportunity for me to practice with a group and uh, be around a group through the, through the experience of doing the activities. And the way that we were able to then have conversations with each other about it. Th- those are the things that I find are valuable. And also to mention what y- you said r- earlier, Rich, about the the activities still work. You know, the good thing about masks is they might hide our faces and our mouths, but they don't hide our laughter. So you can tell joy in the activities. And we were like in the, in the program I would do, and it was just full of laughter the whole time. And so you can still hear that. So I think that I agree that the activities and the sequences that we've been used to don't disappear uh, just because we're wearing a mask. And so it was it's a fun opportunity in this gathering again workshop to be able to experience that again with a group, reaffirm those things that you hope to be true that we haven't lost, and also learn new stuff that I think is really valuable. I think very specifically from a um, learning outcome piece is, you know, uh, what I learned from the, our pilot day and that will carry over to the open enrollment was, you know, here's a list of activities, but also here's some strategies that help keep folks naturally apart, that then once I have those strategies, I can apply those to numerous activities. So just thinking about the difference between a piece of PVC versus webbing versus multi-line rope and how, how can those be used? I think it's sort of that sparking the creative thinking um, it's like you, you get a certain bag of tricks, but then also, uh, you know, it's exponential in terms of applying different strategies. I think another opportunity that this workshop presents is for those people who are interested in joining us, it is an opportunity to bring activities of your own and try them out on a group that's in a safe, supportive environment to get feedback before you do it with your, you know, your kindergarten class or your 12th graders or your advisory group, whatever it is, and see how it works, see what works about it, get feedback, modifications. And so it's a little bit of co-creation also. I remember there was a point at which I, I could see where Rich's, his leadership style all of a sudden allowed us to start experimenting with our own ideas. And because we built such a solid foundation of both strategies and practice in the morning, that the afternoon was more free-flowing. And I think that that's a hugely beneficial piece that people uh, may not have experienced yet. I I think the other thing that was interesting, and this may be true for people who will be gathering with us during the July 28th workshop and then the two subsequent dates, August 6th and August 14th, is it may be your first time also with a group of people outside of your sort of family bubble or cohort, your, your work cohort. And just that act of being with a new group is actually good practice before you're actually with new groups that you're going to facilitate. I think we all really appreciated that opportunity, and I suspect others will too. Yeah, and I would say to add on to that, the one takeaway that I didn't mention about the trainings that we did, for me or me personally, it was like a ripping off of the Band-Aid of the experience to interact with a, with a group outside of my family. And 
you know, because I have been very conservative myself personally about interacting with others for the last few months. And so it was a nice opportunity to do that in a space that I had some safety and some control over. And it relaxed me. It allowed me to be able to continue doing these programs. And now if trainees come up on my calendar, I don't have that dread that I felt prior to this one, which was, I've not done this for a while. I'm rusty and, and also concerned. So I think that that's a definite benefit that I... I think that I'm going to t- I took from the last trainings that I'm sure that people will take from coming to visit us. Awesome. So, uh I if thank you to those people who've already signed up to July 28th. That one is full. So, thank you to all those people who have done that and if you're listening to this thank you and we look forward to working with you. And then once again those dates for August are the 6th and the 14th. You can find them on our website. The price for that is $65. You will get uh, included a deck of Ubuntu as well. Lots of value, lots of reasons for wanting to be able to attend. And we look forward to working with you in the future. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. See ya. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playtime. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy.